Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So a lot happened this week. And given that we are in church, I want to talk specifically about the things that happened this week that have to do with Christianity. Because I can think of three that are pretty significant. One, the Reverend Warnock became the first black senator for Georgia. Warnock is the pastor of Ebenezer uh, Church and got his systematic theology degree at Union Seminary uh, under the mentorship of Dr. James Cohn, whom I reference all the time at New City Church. Uh, One commentator said, this is a reminder that white evangelicals are not the only Christian vote in America. So... Not that New City is endorsing any particular party or candidate, but just naming, like, this is a significant thing that happened involving Christianity. The second thing was that um, many people credit Stacey Abrams alongside with numerous Black women, such as these, for running a really amazing voter turnout campaign. And Stacey Abrams, of course, is the daughter of two United Methodist pastors. I'm United Methodist. We are United Methodists if you're at New City Church. United Methodist pastors. Um, their parents, I believe, studied at Candler School of Theology, which is where I got my Master's of Divinity. And uh, in uh, Abrams's acceptance speech for her um, nomination to be uh, for the campaign to become governor, she cited the Book of Esther in her speech. So, like, there is kind of, like, these undercurrents, these Christian undercurrents in our current events. That seems significant. And then what was the third one? Oh, yeah. There were people who at least said they were Christians storming the Capitol. Uh, They destroyed property, uh, which after the George Floyd uprisings, I thought was the worst thing that you could do. Um, But they didn't have too many hesitations. They placed elected officials in danger. They took offic- They took selfies with arms, uh, armed officials. They seemed to have been prepared for a hostage situation. They defaced property with death threats to the media. And they just kind of generally milled around the Capitol, strolled around the Capitol. Like, I've seen Sims with more stress than the people who were, like, staging a coup in the Capitol. Given the love training that we have done at New City Church, and specifically the somatic work that we've done at New City, when I uh, heard about this news, I first did a check-in with my body, which I invite you to do right now. Kind of notice, even as you're engaging these images, like, what is coming up? Um, I noticed that my gut clenched real tight, (laughs) like, get ready to run. I uh, noticed that my head recoiled in fear and disbelief and and some disgust. And when I really settled in and kind of listened to my body, I kind of noticed that I wanted to like make make a pose that was kind of like this. I can't like one part defense, one part like getting ready to strike and um and that's important data. And, and one, of the, one of the benefits of worshiping online in this configuration is that you're home right now. As you're engaging the images, you could even kind of reflect in on yourself and see, like, what is a pose, what posture 
is my body kind of like wanting to create uh, when we engage even remembering back to a couple days ago when this news hit because that's data that's important because our, our our bodies kind of figure things out have to process things uh even faster than our like frontal cortex where our thoughts are formed right so it's like if our bodies are trying to create a posture or a pose defense curling all together pushing away wanting to smash something like all of that <laughs> lives in us before any thoughts are formed around it right and all of us like can either like access that and feel it fully and express it in safe ways or we can kind of like suppress it and sit on it and then just kind of like allow the toxicity to creep in right so we're gonna kind of um uh first pay attention to what comes up in our body and then second, I did a little bit of welcoming prayer, which is a skill that has come up um, numerous times uh, since New City's illustrious three years of worshiping as a weekly community. Um, and we also talked about it at Sacred Witnessing yesterday. So this is a little bit of how that welcoming prayer goes. So first off, you say welcome and then you name the emotion and draw it or like kind of like picture it in your head. And then you allow the emotion to just speak as the emotion. So it's not like you have to filter it. You're just allowing the raw emotion to speak. So I uh, wrote, sat down with my welcome prayer journal and said, welcome, outrage, because I was feeling some, a little, little pinch of outrage. And I invited that outrage to speak. What's on your mind, outrage? Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that Nightmare Santa Claus and Nazi CrossFit just get to Spider-Man into the Capitol and all the president does is release a statement, which by the way, the president incited all of this and he releases this statement that says that he loves them and he thinks that they're special, which ironically is the least toxic masculine thing that he said since the election and he saved that little nugget for the Proud Boys. Hmm. Welcome. Seems like uh, you're freeing up a lot of energy in my body to respond to something. The entitlement plus all of this hatred just makes me want to rage into the internet. Welcome. Yeah, when you're feeling really upset, it's natural to want to connect with other people who feel like you. Hi, sorry, I have something to say. Welcome. Let's just recall what we learned from the social dilemma, which says that those scathing, angry remarks on social media spread like wildfire, increase attention, and increase engagement on social media platforms, thereby increasing monetization, which therefore funds the same social media platforms that allowed the Proud Boys to organize in the first place. Well, dang. Thank you both for being here. I'm wondering, God, like, What's coming up for you? All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go for a walk and not look at screens at all. And then I'm going to come back and use this amazing energy that Outrage has freed up and pour it into making a sermon. Good? Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's go.
Right, so it would seem that we do have an underlying problem here that isn't just sociological, but there is a theological problem that is expressing itself in Christian nationalism. And unless we understand the theology of what is going on, then we'll never be able to address the injustice of what happened this week. One of the most important theological tenets that Christians in America can remember right now is the difference between Christianity and Christendom. Christianity is following the gospel of Jesus Christ, the liberating love of God. Christendom is the appropriation of Christian symbol and language for the purposes of the empire. Let's break down a little bit of the difference between Christianity and Christendom and what we saw today. And what I'm about to say isn't really a creed, like this isn't like written down somewhere. It's just from being in these like waters of liberation theology, being a practitioner of Christianity, loving Jesus a whole lot, and then seeing the current events. So here's some observations. First, that Christendom drives towards homogeneity, everything being the same, whereas Christianity drives towards diversity, and specifically diversity in a way that centers the experience of marginalized people. We saw this in the story of the Pentecost, of how the Holy Spirit brought together many nations of people. We saw this in uh, the miracles of Jesus, how he intentionally went to the literal geographical margins of society to engage with people there instead of dealing with just the power brokers. Jesus drew all the world together through his love and and that necessarily means that there are there's a diversity of people people who look different and even people who believe differently but are all together on the pathway towards liberating love secondly christendom believes that the united states is a unique salvific agent in the world meaning that god's salvation is coming through the united states particularly through christian united states in a way that is not seen anywhere else in the world in contrast christianity or the gospel sees the holy spirit as the primary agent of salvation the holy spirit is the one who is uh, god's love in the world and the holy spirit goes wherever she wants and sometimes that's in the united states sure sometimes it is and sometimes it definitely isn't. Let's talk about scripture. So in Christendom, scripture is in service ultimately to the agenda of hegemony, to domination and control. And one of the ways that uh, Christendom does that is by saying that all of scripture is equally authoritative and equally inspired by God. And therefore, any part of scripture that is extracted out of the whole of scripture can be used to justify something as just that one point, right? Um, and in contrast, in Christianity, when we look at the gospel, Jesus says that all of the laws and all of the prophets, which is like the Old Testament, are all in service to loving God, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. God, neighbor, self. So all of scripture is in service to loving God, neighbor, and self. And if any of the scripture, when taken in isolation, isn't in service to those goals, then it is no longer, and then it can't be called Christianity when it's used to justify something because what makes it Christian is that we put Jesus at the center. And Jesus says that we need to use scripture only for loving God, neighbor, and self. Christendom tends to enhance current power structures 
which is why a lot of the folks who showed up to Christian nationalist gatherings sure looked like the folks who benefited most from the way that the country has been set up. And whereas in the gospel, uh, Christianity is meant to subvert power structures because God moves particularly through marginalized people. Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. That's kind of what the kingdom of God does. It, it subverts power structures. And to serve those goals, Christendom has people practice. There are spiritual disciplines in Christian nationalism even, but the disciplines are in service towards spiritual homogeneity, meaning spiritual, uh, everyone believes and acts the, the same way. And the resultant of that is suppression. Like there's no spiritual homogeneity without people suppressing who they are because God made us different. And I believe God made us different on purpose. Um, so whereas in Christendom, the discipline is towards ho spiritual homogeneity, in the gospel, we do spiritual practices. We have disciplines towards spiritual maturity. And the fruit of spiritual maturity is laid out in the Bible. It shows that um, we're not trying, the, the whole point of Christianity isn't just to get in line, rank and file. The whole point of Christianity is to create a flourishing world. And those are very different goals. In regards to culture, Christendom seeks cultural dominion, while the gospel seeks cultural liberation. I, you, I got this word, dominion, specifically from um, David Barton, a Christian nationalist and one of the leaders of Project Blitz. Project Blitz is uh, a far extreme right-wing Christian uh, organizing to try to uh, forward put forward legislation that would homogenize the spiritual life of America. And um, the Project Blitz is based around um, the ideology of dominionists. Uh, there are seven realms of culture, business, government, media, arts and entertainment, education, family, and religion. And so the dominionists are saying, if we can control all seven of the realms of culture, then we'll be able to have dominion over it. Uh, uh, David Barton said, if you can have those seven areas, you can shape and control whatever takes place in nations, continents, and even the world. Hmm. Um, and in, in the gospel, in, in, in cultural liberation, we're saying um, uh, everyone's not free until we're all free. And so therefore we have to center marginalized voices and seek liberation for the people who are least free because that's when all of, all of it is going to happen. That's, I, I honestly, spoiler alert, I think that the end of the book of Revelation is kind of saying that. In Christendom, the belief is that any faith expressed in the public square is accountable only to orthodoxy, which is to say like a very particular way of believing and any way you show up is acceptable as long as it's accountable to that. In the gospel, in Christianity, <laughs> Uh, uh, the faith is still a public faith. Like, I, I really push back on this kind of like modernity concept that faith can only be private. That never works. <laughs> like, uh, faith is a public, faith is meant to be in the public square. However, if you're going to follow Jesus, then faith must necessarily be accountable to marginalized voices. However, I can think of one way in which Christian nationalism and the gospel are actually quite similar. There's one way that I can think of right now, and that is that both of them require 
high levels of commitment. Christian nationalism is like, it's our way or the highway. Like we are demanding high levels of commitment. And uh, and the gospel also requires high level of commitment. Jesus was like, uh, hey, I know that you just had a father who died. Come and follow me. I know that you have to go work at, uh, in the field and harvest some things. Forget it. Come and follow me. Like Jesus <laughs> was kind of setting a high bar. And, and for this reason, I believe that MLK in Letters for a Birmingham Jail wrote, we have to be extremists for love. Like anyone who wants to make any type of difference, whether it's nefarious or based around liberating love, needs to organize their whole life around it in order to make any modicum of difference. That means your personal relationships, your financial life, the way that you engage your broader community, the way you show up on social media, all of those things need to be evaluated according to, in the case of the gospel, according to liberating love for the type of change that you desire to actually happen in the world. Like, I think that what is a win for Christian nationalism is if um, everyone just kind of like says like, you know, we should all just like, let's just all keep our beliefs to ourselves. Let's all just cool down and let's just like all retreat into our little holes. The Christian nationalists are like, well, great, because we're not going to do that. And we're just going to like stomp all over everything. And I think that Christians are kind of like supposed to be galvanized with double the amount of passion than Christian nationalists have, but for the causes of Jesus, for liberating love, for centering marginalized voices, and for transformation of the world in the sake of collective liberation. And in fact, something that Christians against Christian nationalism say is that whenever we try to conflate um, uh, governance with religion such that one man gets to rule all of them, <laughs> always one man, right? Um, whenever we conflate those two things, it actually waters down the gospel so severely that it's unrecognizable. Like our religious practice has to be passionate, fervent, prophetic, in order for us to go about moving in the spirit. So um, that doesn't mean that Christians can't be elected officials, but it does mean that we can't do that cute thing that Christian nationalists always like to do, where they Christianize anything that happens to match their ideological platform. Like, remember that time that all the conservative evangelicals were like, ha ha ha, Trump is such a great Christian, but he's a baby Christian, remember this? Uh, because he uses locker room talk. Like, he's early on in his faith journey, but he's definitely one of ours. And it's like, ah, you wouldn't be saying that about him if he was like a teenager <laughs> in your youth group, right? Like you're only saying that because you have a fetishized understanding of elected power. And like that kind of like, this, this power is ours now. Like that is a move of Christian nationalism for the sake of cultural hegemony. And I just like, that is so opposite of what Jesus wants. It, it can't, it, it's like they're completely different. It's it's almost like, you know, have you seen those Instagram things that are like, don't compare um, the police response to white uh, brutality, white on white crime, to the police response to Black Lives Matter, because those activities are completely different. Like this is like 
people staging a coup versus people fighting for their civil rights that were already promised to them but are not being delivered to them. Like these are totally separate and like even putting those in a comparison to each other feels kind of weird. And I kind of feel like that about Christian nationalism and the gospel. Like, gosh, yeah, they both use crosses apparently and, and, and we're calling upon the name of Jesus, but the fundamental like principles and understandings of how we are going about living Christian life are so opposed to each other that it's almost incomparable to me. However, as different as I perceive Christianity and Christendom to be, we are nonetheless sharing some similar symbols. Uh, and, and I do feel like it's our responsibility as New City Church to interrogate some of the, the things that we do hold in common for the sake of clarifying uh, what this is all about. It kind of makes me wonder if the folks who were Hindu like in the 1940s looked at the Nazis and were like, that's not what a swastika is for. <laughs> you know, like, that's not what the Bible's for. And I think that there is no more poignant of a book that we can really start to interrogate than the book of Revelation, which is the very ending of the Bible. The book of Revelation provides the ideological imagination for many groups of people that New City has stood in tension with. So Christian evangel uh, right-wing Christian evangelicals, Christian nationalism, certain fundamentalists, like all of these groups kind of use the imagination of the book of Revelation to justify some pretty terrible things, in my humble opinion. And so New City is going to dedicate now until Easter to really be diving into the book of Revelation. And we are going to go about it in ways that we have never done before. Like we are going to um, have a weekly Bible study where you can dive even further into resources than our Sunday service. Um, Heidi uh, took a class, a seminary class on Revelation this past semester. And so it's fresh. Uh, and they, along with Joe Meinholz, are gonna like facilitate a really meaningful conversation. So uh, we're going to be resourcing that way. We also are going to be releasing a workbook um, because, with daily exercises that kind of start to cultivate and hone what your own understanding of Revelation is and how God is moving through you and as you interact with Scripture. And the reason why this is, we especially wanted to resource you in this way is because the book of Revelations is admittedly one of the most difficult books of the Bible to interpret for a modern reader. And there's a couple reasons why that is. But for the sake of this sermon series, the, the most significant reason why the book of Revelation isn't immediately accessible to modern readers is because of genre. The book of Revelation is written in a type of genre that doesn't exist in our world anymore. Uh, the Jewish apocalypse is a very particular genre. And by genre, I mean like, like a letter is a genre. Like you start it, dear so-and-so, and then you write it in a certain way, and then you say sincerely blank, right? Like genre is about form, it's about tone, it's about audience. Um, so like a letter or a biography or a haiku are all examples of genres. And in fact, let's take a look at something that my outrage said even earlier this sermon.
Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that Nightmare Santa Claus and Nazi CrossFit just get to Spider-Man into the Capitol? Okay, so imagine that 2,000 years from now, Christians find this video and they are trying to understand uh, what is going on here. What are the things that they would have to understand to be able to decode it? So first of all, it would probably be helpful to understand kind of the, I don't know if it's a genre, but like the trope of comedic newscasters describing politicians or current events in funny ways. Um, they would probably have to understand reading culture, like in drag culture when you're reading someone. Um, they would probably, it would probably be helpful for them to know about the presidential speech that happened contemporaneously. That's that reference to where Trump literally said, Trump literally said that he loves the insurrectionists and that he um, thinks they're special. Uh, they would have to understand the mythology around Santa Claus and Spider-Man, the ideology of modern Nazism, the social connotations of CrossFit, which like, I know I was going real hard on them, but like, I do know some cool people who do CrossFit. Oh, and lastly, they would have to understand uh, discourse around toxic masculinity and why I said that thing at the end. And just generally, they would have to understand a rhetorical question. And like all of those things are things that we take for granted in like our subsect of culture because it just happens so often that it's like, of course, this is just plain communication. However, if any one of those things that I just mentioned fell out of our culture or was no longer relevant, it would be a barrier to try to understand the genre or the communication that we were going into. And that's kind of like, those are kind of all the reasons why it's hard to understand Revelation. However, with that said, if those Christians 2000 years from now were able to decipher all those things, imagine the level of insight that they would be able to get, not only to the current culture, but how Christians in, in the past have tried to find God in very desperate situations. They would be able to understand emotionally what was going on. They would be able to understand like liturgically and in terms of spiritual practices, how engaging with Jesus resulted in behavioral change that would have been a total, it's like the opposite path of what I would have done with my initial like gut emotional response, right? Like all of those things would be so enriching and helpful, I believe, uh, for Christians 2000 years ago. 2,000 years from now. And I know that that's true because whenever I read very similar things from Christians in the past 2,000 years, I always find it helpful to see how people are wrestling with Christ and culture. And so, of course, if we're going to look at uh, texts that are like from the first century since Christ's life, showing a worldview of what it's like to be a Christian despite empires and powers, to see how they made sense of how God is going to make all things right and just and abundant. Like, that is extremely insightful for our current situation. That is so wise and valuable. That is such a source of wisdom and value for our society. And so, like, I want to be clear that this sermon series isn't just about, like, how to win an argument with your conservative evangelical uncle. If, if that's what it is for you, like, that's, like, the first 
10% of value of what we're trying to get at. Like Revelation is an amazing testament, art, artistic imagination to try to grapple with what it means to live as a follower of Jesus when it looks like the whole world is on fire. And if we don't like take that seriously, especially given the circumstances that we're entering 2021 with, I think we're really going to be forfeiting the the ancestral wisdom from our spiritual ancestors to be able to deal with our current situation. And so I invite you to really dive in with Revelation for us. Every Thursday night, there's going to be this Bible study and the workbook. Don't forget the workbook. We have daily activities that we'll post on Instagram, but also like there's like a physical workbook that we would like to mail you to like through post, send you this workbook with an activity for every day for you to start really leaning into what Revelation is all about. I believe that this is one of the most important things that we could be doing as a church theologically in the beginning of 2021. And we thought that before there was a coup attempt by Christian nationalists. So please, please join us for this amazing series. God be with you.